0: Welcome to A Voice of Reason with your host, Kathy Horton and Sherry Petro-Serdell. We are offered new opportunities for growth daily. And with new opportunities, challenges are presented. Together, we can address the challenges and explore these opportunities. Now, here's Kathy Horton with Sherry Petro-Serdell.
1: Welcome to A Voice of Reason. This is Kathy Horton, and I am with Sherry Petro-Serdell. Today, our show is about a topic that is a common denominator among all of humanity. We might say it is part of the human condition that you often speak of, Sherry. The topic is decision-making. So Sherry, what was your inspiration for selecting this topic to explore?
2: I chose this topic of exploration for my own journey quite a few years ago. As I was taking my, my soul inventory, as I call it, of the key moments in my life, both the ones with positive outcomes and the ones with not so positive, you know, and even painful outcomes, I realized that each memorable event that came up involved a decision. I now understand that decisions are more about who I am than what I do. Hmm. With that in mind, I saw how important, from then on, making good decisions is. I realized how much of my life I had been making unconscious decisions. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, I was making decisions without any cognitive, upfront, cerebral brain input. Without much thought, without enough information, oftentimes... And without the consideration of the possible consequences, and I was doing that because I didn't have a foundation for decision-making, that is what actually led me on the path of exploring a better way of making decisions. In my coaching, I urge people to practice to do the same reflection process because the decisions you make will not only affect you now, but it will affect all future decisions and not just for you, but for others.
1: All right, so let's start with the fact that decision-making is not always easy. Heck, sometimes I have trouble figuring out what I want to order off the dinner menu.
2: <laughs> There's a whole lot that can identify <laughs> with that. I know. Well, Sometimes I have problems figuring out what to wear. And for some people, it can literally stop their ability to move forward when they can't make a decision. When that happens... It becomes a decision of no decision, which is a decision. It's important to understand that no decision is a decision, and it will have consequences just as if you were making a very clear conscious decision. Okay, so let's go back to your question. Why is it that it's sometimes so difficult to make a decision? One of the main thoughts around this is that it's because of fear. In previous shows, I've spoke of the limbic part of the brain and our radar system called the amygdala. It's all about scouting for danger. Even if there's no lions and tigers and bear, there is always danger to our ego. So quite possibly, the fear of being wrong Making a mistake, being discovered, is not being the smartest in the room. Um, Because of our indecisiveness, we don't make a decision, which doesn't look real smart either. Hmm. So remember, when fear comes into the picture, we all will either choose a defense mechanism, a flight, fight, or freeze. The freeze is that no decision place.
1: All right, so I just want to emphasize something. that you said there, because I'm a big believer in in this. A non-decision is a decision. Yes. And so what I'm hearing from you is a big part of um, indecisiveness is fear. Mm -hmm. So what would I be afraid of when I'm ordering food in a restaurant or making a decision what to wear in the morning?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, remember, it's all about the ego. It's the fear, the ego's fear. So what if you picked, you weren't sure what you wanted to order, and you picked spaghetti, and the spaghetti didn't taste right, it wasn't really a good choice, Um, it will seem that you picked wrong, didn't you? And who wants to be wrong, and definitely your ego doesn't? And I ordered the fish, and you were thinking about it, but I ordered it, and it was yummy, and I made sure you knew about it. What a good choice <laughs> I made. So yeah, that, but
1: I know you'll share.
2: <laughs> it's true. but that So that made me right. Mm-hmm. And if I'm right, then maybe you were wrong. Oh, the pain that could be inflicted on that ego. Now, I know... This all sounds a bit silly in how the old brain and the ego works and really fear about wrong about a food choice, but that is how it works. And that is one of the reasons we need to make more conscious decisions. More action, less indecisiveness. I go back to my thought is when you don't know what to do, do something different. And There are, um, but there are, I want to add, there are also personality types, and I call them the this isn't it people, Mm. and they, whatever they will decide won't be right because this wasn't it, and so that's a whole nother story that they have to go through, but truly deciding what to eat or what to wear doesn't really seem like an important long-term issue unless you continually pick bad foods, foods that will cause you health problems, or I guess what to wear if you dress inappropriately in freezing weather and get frostbite, it will affect you. (laughs) Yet it is important to understand that each and every decision has a consequence, and some of those consequences can make a big impact on your life and the life of others.
1: You know, I know you have a favorite off author that when you um, that you refer to when it comes to living a meaningful and principled life Andy Andrews now he's written a number of inspiring books he was hailed by a New York Times reporter as someone who has quietly become one of the most influential writers in America he's spoken to members of Congress and their spouses He has spoken at the request of four different presidents. His books include The Traveler's Gift, The Noticer, and the one we're going to talk about today, The Seven Decisions. Could you share with us what has made this book tops on your list?
2: First of all, I want to tell all of our listeners, I'm telling all of you, I don't want to, I'm telling all of you that if you have not read Andy's books, I am urging you, strongly urging you, to consider reading them. They are some of the best resources for living a conscious, honorable life. They are often written in novel format, so it makes for good entertainment. Now to his book, The Seven Decisions. The wisdom found within the seven keys of making decisions, important decisions that will have a ripple effect on history and the world, matches everything I believe in, everything I bring to my coaching sessions, to my spiritual ministry. Ministry and Andy does it so eloquently. Now, the seven decisions is not one of the books that are written in the novel for, format, but it will still be great entertainment. Besides, enlightening. So what I'm about to share is a wisdom that can change the way you make decisions. And that truly can change your life.
1: So, wow, this is big, isn't it? Really big.
2: Really big. Really Hmm. big. Yes, it is. You know, for, you see, when I started the journey of reflection and creating a personal success plan for myself and I decided to really live as a spiritual being having a human experience, I discovered how important foundations and principles really are. So let's just talk about the principles of decision making from Andy's book, The Seven Decisions. Decision number one, responsible decision. Andy calls this the buck stops here. It means that I will no longer blame anyone or anything for the decisions and the circumstances of my life. I accept my decisions, and I accept that my decisions were governed by my thinking or not thinking, whether it was conscious or unconscious. I must own it. Andy says that we are all where we are today, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally, because of decisions that we made. And those are all the categories that I work with in coaching.
1: Hmm. Well, since I've also enjoyed Andy's books, I know he was once homeless. So he is very credible in making this claim. And I understand what is being said. But on that note, what if somebody was born physically or mentally disabled? How is that a decision that they made?
2: Kath, that's a beautiful observation. And I don't know how Andy would answer that question, but I'm going to give you my thought on it. Okay. Whatever we start with with is the starting point of responsibility. So in other words, the decisions that we make from where we began is our responsibility. Let's say we were born without legs or deaf or blind. Now that wasn't our decision, but everything after that is. We still must ask ourselves and we still must make decisions about how we will show up every day in our life. With those um, aspects of our being and Mm -hmm. to say I will take responsibility for how I show up blind how I show up deaf how I show up with no legs I don't know is that helpful yes um, it really is
1: it makes a lot of sense so I would add that there is something freeing about making that decision, as it means I will not let my history hold me hostage. Mm
2: -hmm. Good, good, good point. It puts us in charge and not always blaming, and we can't do anything with the blame. Mm -hmm. So something that I believe is really important about decision making is that we have the ability in us always to make right decisions. We don't, I'm sorry, we don't always have that ability to make right decisions. I'm going to say that again. You know, maybe we do, but we don't. Does that make sense? We have the ability to make right decisions, but we don't always make them. The good news is that we still have the ability to take a poor decision and make it right. Exactly. And that, again, is about responsibility. We can't change our past decisions or our past, but we can change our future by changing our actions and how we even look at the decisions that we thought were not good. So, on to decision number two the guided decision. This decision is a decision to actively seek wisdom when you're making decisions. Wisdom doesn't necessarily come from education. Knowledge does, yet knowledge is a precursor to wisdom, it's true, yet wisdom has is more encompassing, it has our intuition in it, it has our GPS, that God positioning system involved, and that which we have learned from personal experiences create wisdom. It is said that God will move mountains to create the opportunity of our choosing, but it's up to us to be ready to move ourselves. Andy says there are three simple things we can do in seeking wisdom. Read, and that means reading material that has wisdom in it. Two, seek and take in the counsel of wise people. And the third is serve others. That will increase wisdom. So
1: I'm a big believer in those three things. With that said, though, can you help me with the third, serving others? I know it is important to have a servant's heart, but connect that for me on how that relates to seeking wisdom.
2: Hmm. The wisdom in serving others is the truth that by serving others, and not, doesn't need to be in grandiose ways, but in everyday ways, we value them. We say their importance. And when we do that, that increases our own value because we all are connected. So, wise
1: decision comes from reading material that has wisdom in it. Wisdom also comes from seeking and hanging with people who demonstrate wisdom. You know, I've read that it's wise to surround yourself with people that you think are better than how you see yourself. Mm -hmm. So, if I want to be wiser, I must hang with people I think are wiser. If I desire to be more spiritually minded, I hang with more spiritually minded people. Mm -hmm. And finally, for the last point, serving is a value. And when you put out value in serving, you become more valuable.
2: So am I understanding all of this correctly? You certainly are. That is a great synopsis. You're spot on, Kath. Now let's go to decision number three. Andy calls that the active decision. This is about becoming a person of action. In coaching or even in therapy, I ask my clients, what are their intentions? And their intentions, not for the whole work that we're going to be doing, but at each session. Because when we set an intention, we then know what we're aiming for and we can put on our action shoes. Everything that ever happens starts with an intention. Yet an intention without any action is a wish and pretty useless. Intentions alone won't make you healthy, wealthy, or wise. You know what? Maybe that's what that old adage was speaking of. Or how about this adage? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I would change the word hell to failure. The road to failure is paved with good intentions, but no actions. So when faced a choice with a choice of doing something or doing nothing, choose to do something, take action. Even if the something is seek guidance, often it is fear that immobilizes us, and that is a decision in itself to freeze. Fear hinders pros- progress. Whenever the fear is of rejection or failure or making a mistake, That fear is what will create no decision, no action, which, remember, is a decision, and it's not a wise one. Each decision we make has a consequence, and it has an impact. And so does every decision you make have an impact because there's a ripple effect. Decisions matter. Actions matter. Principles matter.
1: So that reminds me of a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. You do not have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. I think often people are hindered by trying to figure out more than what is needed to just get started. Just, headed, just to be headed in the right direction. Now I'm a big fan of the attitude to take corrective action along the course. Corrections on that journey. You you know, you just can't possibly figure it all out ahead of time. No. Some of the wisdom that comes is from what we encounter on the path. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing I'll add is to emphasize that principles matter. Yes. I know for me, knowing the principles that are most important and then living by those principles is very freeing on a daily basis. When I have compromised, I feel it in my heart. hmm so, Sherry, thanks so much for all this great information on decision making that you've been sharing with us. <laughs> it's time for a short break. I encourage you to click on a voice of reason in the show links section. Check out Sherry's book and meditation CD and sign up for our email list. Stay with us to hear more about the importance of decision making. And the importance of your role in your decisions. You are listening to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
3: It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
4: The book, A Voice of Reason, is now available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Balboa Press. This book is perfect for book groups and personal growth. The meditation CD, The Secret Place, is available on Amazon and CD Baby. If you're ready to seek inner wisdom and inspiration, visit AVoiceOfReasonBook.com.
3: Spirit Space is an all-inclusive, interfaith, non-denominational spiritual community. What if all of your answers are within you? In the world, there are many different roads, but the destination is the same. Visit spirit-space.org today.
4: Certified Life Coach and Imago Therapist Sherry petro is a gifted public speaker, psychotherapist, and meditation teacher. For over 20 years, she has inspired and motivated groups and individuals to turn their intentions and goals into reality. Visit a Book.com to find out more.
3: Sherry and Katie are available to conduct workshops and speak at your event. Their life coaching services can turn your goals and intentions into reality. Appointments are available now. Visit a book.com for more information. That's a Book.com.
0: Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. are listening to a voice of reason to reach the show today call into 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 if you'd prefer to connect via email our address is info at a voice of reason now back to this week's show
1: welcome back to a voice of reason so sherry can you share with us decision number four
2: Well, you finished with talking about how you feel it in your heart. Mm -hmm. And that is decision number four. Andy calls it the certain decision or the decided heart. He says that a decided heart has to do with um, how we make decisions and then our conduct after the decision is made. This decision has nothing to do with persistence or action. So here's how it goes. When one um, has a decided heart and is confronted with a challenge, they will search for the solution. Now, the undecided heart searches, but it searches for an escape. When those who operate on on decision-making with a decided heart will get flack or when they get criticism, they don't give up. They don't shut down. Andy speaks of this principle personally. He said that when he was working on getting The Traveler's Gift published, he kept getting turned down. A top literary agent said this about the book, I found your story a bit melodramatic and lacking in concrete plot and characterization. Also, I didn't feel the characters you described come to life. Let me tell you, they did. But Andy had a decided heart. It did not stop him. Those comments did not stop him. He decided he's going to work, research and see if there were other authors that he admired that maybe had experienced what he was experiencing and how they handled it. He found a really Rejection letter from the publishing people that were approached to do the diary of Anne Frank. The publisher said, this girl doesn't have any special perception or feeling that would lift this book above a curiosity level. Hmm. Anne Frank. And when Dr. Seuss presented publishers with a manuscript titled, And to Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street, it was rejected by 27 different publishers. As, as was George Orwell's Animal Farm, Rud, your Kipling's The Jungle Book. These are just a sampling that, that Andy found. So Andy's decided heart kept him riding and rising to the top. Remember, a decided heart stays true to its calling and purpose. One of the greatest challenges to having a decided heart is our limiting belief system. Remember the ones I call BS? That is why it's very important to uncover and challenge those belief systems. That is something we do in coaching. It is a sorry state to live in the state of fearing other people's reactions and to live depending on the approval of others so that you can live your life, write your story, live your passion. Actually, the decided heart is about passion. Passion comes from the heart. Passion is what makes life a statement and not an excuse. I can
1: definitely relate to that content. You know, I left corporate America about five years ago. I feel I've been doing some of the best work of my life. And I believe that because of my attitude to try to show up a bit better each and every day and by living by my principles. No, it certainly has taken a decided Heart to keep adjusting the path as needed, but I have loved this opportunity to serve and concentrate on my personal growth. I am so very grateful for the time I spent in corporate America. I had some fantastic jobs and I met and worked with so many amazing people, but switching my focus to serving others has been a very good experience overall. Now, I will also note the shift in my approach. Um, with our boutique lodge that we've built in Costa Rica for retreats. It's called Pangea Lodge, and that's a reference to one world. It resides in Manzanillo on the Caribbean, right in Costa Rica. You can find us on Facebook or PangeaLodge.com. And new pictures are coming soon. (laughs) It's pretty darn exciting. But what I want to share with you is one of the first things we did in creating this resort was to commit to how we were giving back to the local yes. community. Yeah. The first endeavor in that regard has been to sponsor two young women in their high school and college education. Yeah. No, I know I still have a lot to learn, but this approach
2: feels darn good. It does, and one of those young ladies wants to be a children's doctor, Mm. So that's um thank you for sharing about how your passion took you out of the corporate corporate world and is leading you in the life that you have. You know, in our book, A Voice of Reason, I make reference to the fact that everyone needs a Kathy. And that is the truth. I wish I could give everyone a Kathy, because Kathy's passion for doing Serving, loving, and living is contagious, and it certainly pushed me in places I would have never gone, and I've missed so much.
1: Hmm. Well, thank you, Sherry, for being such a wonderful, supportive friend and a great spiritual teacher for me. I love the content you produce, and it certainly has made a difference in my life. This friendship
2: has been a blessing for me as well. Well, thanks. And that's an encouragement for all of you to look for that support person that raises you up to your highest, somebody who lives a passionate life. Well, let's get back to decision number five, the joyful decision. This decision can liberate your spirit with infinite joy that can just be found in life. To live this decision begins with an understanding that joy is a choice. Happiness is a decision, not a circumstance. I want to make sure you heard me. Joy is a choice. Happiness is a decision, not a circumstance. To smile is a choice with the possible exception, of, think, of Kathy, because (laughs) anyone who meets her is captivated by this big, beautiful smile. And I don't think she ever even thinks about it because she'll smile at somebody frowning. She'll smile at a flower. She just smiles. So somewhere, unconsciously or consciously, she chooses to smile, and it's so natural, and it makes all of us smile. So I know I'm talking to you about that, talking with you right here in front of me, but is there anything you want to say about that smile?
1: Well, I'll just share that I know my smile is a gift, and I do try to share it with as many people as possible, so thanks for the compliment.
2: Yep. You'll know Kathy by her smile if you ever meet her on the street. Well, Andy believes that joy has been conditioned out of us. Most everything we do is about conditioning, actually. So, Kathy, do you have any fun stories about um, horses' rear ends? Or?
1: <laughs> so, I'm just going to share a little story right from Andy's book, The Seven Decisions. So, it's Beware of Conditioning. The U.S. standard rail gauge, the distance between the two rails, is exactly four uh, four feet eight and one-half inches. It's an odd number, but that's the way they built them in England, and it was the English ex-patriots uh, who built the railroads in the United States. So why did the English build their rails with such odd measurements? Well, the same people who built the pre-rolled, pre-railroad tramways built their rails with a gauge of 4 feet, 8 and one-half inches. And why did they build them like that? Well, the tramways reused the same jig, tools, and measurements that had been used to build wagons, which was uh, used, um, that used the same wheel spacing, four feet, eight and one-half inches. And why did the wagons have that particularly odd wheel spacing? If the spacing had been different, the wagon wheels would have broken on some of the old long-distance roads in English, England, which incidentally had wheel ruts with the same spacing. So, who built the old rutted roads? The Imperial Roman Empire built the first roads in England thousands of years ago, and these roads can still be walked on today. The ruts are sp- Spaced exactly four feet eight and one half inches apart because the Roman war chariots made the initial ruts. And every one of them had to match for the fear of destroying their wagon wheels and wagons. Since the chariots were made for and by the imperial realm, they were all alike in their wheel spacing. So the US standard rail gauge of four feet eight and one half inches comes from the original specification for an Imperial Roman War Chariot. (laughs) So the next time you're handed some instructions or some idea and you wonder what horse's rear end came up with this, you might be exactly right. You see, the Imperial Roman War Chariots were made just wide enough, four feet, eight and one half inches, to accommodate the back end of two war horses. Now, here's an interesting twist to the story. When you see a space shuttle sitting on the launch pad at Cape Canaveral, you'll notice two big booster rockets attached to the side of the main fuel tank. These SRBs, Solid Rocket Boosters, are manufactured by a company in Utah. The engineers who designed them may have preferred to make them a bit wider, but the SRBs, had to be shipped by train from the factory site to the launch site. The railroad line from the factory had to run through a tunnel in the mountains and the SRBs had to fit through that tunnel. The tunnel is slightly wider than the railroad tracks and the railroad track at four feet, eight and one half inches is about as wide as two horses' rear ends. <laughs> so the major design feature of what arguably to be the most advanced transper- uh, transportation system in the world was determined literally by the width of a horse's
2: behind. Can you imagine? <laughs> I can. And so we inserted that story into decision number five, the joyful decision, because it makes you giggle.
1: Yeah, sure does.
2: <laughs> but it also is a really good way to explain conditioning. And remember, Andy believes that joy has been conditioned out of us. So I'm going to look at it this way. People every day get grumpy about the same things that they were grumpy about yesterday and six years ago, and they don't even know why that makes them grumpy. They just say it makes them grumpy. The world belongs to the enthusiastic, the joyful people, the people and the people who follow enthusiasm. Happiness and a joy-filled heart are products of a grateful spirit. We can uncondition anything that was conditioned. I mean, no, we, we can't snap our fingers and suddenly be happy, but I do believe that gratitude can certainly help us with that and an understanding of the conditioning. Back to conditioning. We can condition ourselves to be grateful and enthusiastic. Kathy has conditioned herself to smile. And then there's those old adage, fake it till you make it. And Mm -hmm. guess what? You will make it because smiling and laughter and enthusiasm are contagious and habit-forming. So take a lesson from Kathy. Try smiling at every person you see. Wake up and express gratitude. Go to sleep with a smile on your face. Think of the story Kathy Kathy read, the width of horses behind determined the construction of a piece of a space shuttle. Now that's just plain funny. (laughs) So
1: we, you know, we often can find ourselves in situations where conditioning occurs. There are many that do not want to be challenged. I am just going to urge you all to be curious, ask questions, and bring your childlike wonder and awareness with you each and every day. So now,
2: on to the sixth decision. Okay. The sixth decision is the compassionate decision. This decision can change the way most people view forgiveness. Andy and I myself believe that forgiveness is a resolution. It is the answer to anger and resentment. It is a well-known teaching that forgiveness is not for the other person. It is for the person doing the forgiveness. You know, Buddha had said that he who has no open wounds can hold poison in their hands and not be poisoned. Unforgiveness is like picking up a hot coal to throw at someone. You are the one that gets burned first. Or it is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Unforgiveness and resentment, if, if you allow, it, will ruin your life, not the person that you're carrying the resentment for. I mean, think about it. How many relationships have been broken because of this venom? How many families and friends no longer can exist peacefully because of unforgiveness? Where there is no forgiveness, there will be no compassion. Where there, is no, where there is compassion, there will be forgiveness. One of the best decisions one will ever make is the decision to express compassion by living a life dedicated to forgiving spirit. And the first person that we must forgive in our new way of living and deciding and to be compassionate is ourself. In order to live a life of compassion, you must liberate yourself. Hey, this is all really great
1: content. You know, I've learned this uh, forgiveness principle from you. It is so very important, important to forgive oneself. It may sound easy, but I find it's something that I need to work on daily. So can you share with us how one goes about forgiving oneself?
2: Well, it's a lifelong process, just as forgiving others is a lifelong process. It's not one decision. It's decision upon decision. It begins with a decision that when you find yourself being harsh and judgmental with someone else, you're probably doing the very same thing to yourself, and it's probably more about you than it is them. Wow. Thanks so
1: much for these additional decisions. We can all learn a great deal from the wisdom you shared. This is all great content. It's time for a short break. Stay with us as you won't want to miss the last of the decision-making process. You are listening to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
3: Spirit Space is an all inclusive, interfaith, non denominational spiritual community. What if all of your answers are within you? In the world, there are many different roads, but the destination is the same. Visit spirit space.org today. Sherry and Kathy are available to conduct workshops and speak at your event. Their life coaching services can turn your goals and intentions into reality. Appointments are available now. Visit a voice of Reason for more information. That's a voice of Reason book.com.
4: Certified Life Coach and Imago Therapist Sherry petro is a gifted public speaker, psychotherapist, and meditation teacher. For over 20 years, she has inspired and motivated groups and individuals to turn their intentions and goals into reality. Visit a voiceofreasonbook.com to find out more. The book, A Voice of Reason, is now available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Balboa Press. This book is perfect for book groups and personal growth. The meditation CD, The Secret Place, is available on Amazon and CD Baby. If you're ready to seek inner wisdom and inspiration, visit A AVoiceOfReasonBook.com.
3: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Empowerment.com
0: you are listening to a voice of reason to reach the show today call into 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 if you'd prefer to connect via email our address is info at a voice of reason now back to this week's show welcome back to a voice of reason well
1: Here we are at decision number seven. This is the one I can relate to very
2: well. Can you tell us about it? Yes, and I bet you can relate to this. The decision is titled The Persistent Decision, and why Kathy can relate to this is because I call her the Determinator. (laughs) She is persistent, like a little Jack Russell dog. But actually, our success with the other six decisions rests on this one decision persistence is a habit just like quitting is a habit the unique aspect of, of the decision to persist is for andy is a tough one because he says persist without exception he states any time you go after something big a time is going to come when it seems obvious to you it's over you've tried everything god knows you've tried and you can't it's just not happening you can't make it happen he says that this is the time when miracles can happen. In coaching, I call it trouble at the border. You know, you're so close to the promised land, and then you come up to those nasty little border guards dressed as monkeys and toddlers, <laughs> and they want to tell you, nope, you can't cross over, you can't do it, you're done. It's, it is people of persistence that exceed. No one ever succeeded by quitting. Andy emphasizes without exception. He says most of us believe that when we've done everything possible to make something happen and we can't see it and we can't see a way, then we have persisted and it is acceptable to quit because you hung in there. But without exceptions means you have to f- means you have to find a way when there's no way. So that is just plain tough. Yeah.
1: You know, what about the course corrections and getting what you needed to learn a lesson so that it's not necessary to keep persisting? And what if it isn't what the universe wants for you or your passion moves on to something different?
2: Thank you again for being the audience, because those are all great questions, and they're ones that I also am curious about and believe my listeners are. I think there's a time when it's time to let things go. I, as a life coach, support people to help them go after their dreams and to persist. Yet many times the doors just close, the messages say something different. I wish I had Andy Andrews here to answer those questions. What this decision has shown me is that I need to not quit before I say, okay, there is no other way. Now I must make the decision to find another way. So for me, it is I have decided to look for another way when I believe there's no other way.
1: Well, that sounds good to me. I can do that too.
2: Well, the most important thing we want to get across is good decision-making must begin with a good foundation. That is what Andy's giving us. Start with the I have checklist. Identify your passion and your highest intention. Make sure it matches your values. Gather enough information to make good decisions and consider the consequences of your decision. Remember, every decision has a consequence and every decision matters. Now, we'd like to close with a true story of how one decision changed the world. The story comes from another of Andy's books called The Butterfly Effect. Everything you do matters.
1: So, on Friday, April 2nd, 2004, ABC News honored a man who, at that time, was 91 years old. The news program was running a regular segment called Person of the Week. Now, usually the honorees' accomplishments are listed in advance, and by the time the name is announced, most folks have already guessed the identity of that week's recipient. In this instance, however, the pronouncement left many viewers puzzled. And so, our person of the week is, the anchorman finally said, Norman Borlaug. One can only imagine the frowns. Who? Who did he say? Norman? What was that last name? Yet, despite our unfamiliarity, Norman Borlaug is a man who is personally responsible for drastically and dramatically changing the world in which we live. You see, in the early 1940s, Norman Borlaug hybridized high-yield, disease-resistant corn and wheat for arid climates. From the Dust Bowl of Western Africa to our own desert Southwest, from South and Central America to the Plains of Siberia, across Europe and Asia, Borlaug's specific seed product flourished and regenerated where no seed had ever thrived before.
2: Well, through the years, it's now been calculated that Norman Borlaug's work saved from famine more than 2 billion lives. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, it was never reported, but the anchorman was misinformed. It was not Norman Borlaug who saved 2 million, billion people through the, a very caught mistake. It was a man named Henry Wallace Henry Wallace was the vice president of the United States under Franklin Roosevelt. Wait a minute, you might exclaim if you know your history. I thought Harry Truman was the vice president under Roosevelt. Well, that's true. But remember, Roosevelt had four terms. He had three different vice presidents. And the second man to serve um, him was 19, from 1941 to 1945 was Henry Wallace. Wallace was the former Secretary of Agriculture who after one term as Vice President was dumped from the ticket in favor of Truman. While Wallace was Vice President, however, he used his power in that office to create a station in Mexico whose sole purpose was to hybridize corn and wheat for arid climates. And he hired a young man named Norman Borloff to run it. So, Norman Borlaug won the Nobel Peace Prize. Norman Borlaug was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but considering the connection, I think it was really Henry Wallace that saved the two billion people. Well, or was it George
1: Washington Carver? You remember Carver, don't you? The peanut? But. Here's something that very few people know. When Carver was 19 years old and a student at Iowa State University, he had a dairy sciences professor who on Saturday and Sunday afternoon would allow his six-year-old boy to go on botanical expeditions with the brilliant student. It was George Washington Carver who took that boy and instilled in him a love for plants and a vision for what they could do for humanity. It was George Washington Carver who pointed six-year-old Henry Wallace's life in a specific direction long before he ever became vice president of the United States. It is amazing to um, contemplate, isn't it, George Washington Carver flapping his butterfly wings with the peanut. There are currently 266 things that he developed from the peanut that we still use today. He flapped his wings with the sweet potato. There are 88 things Carver originated from the sweet potato that we still use today. And while no one was even looking, George Washington Carver flapped his wings a couple of times with the six-year-old boy and just happened to save the lives of more than two billion people and counting. So maybe it should have been George Washington Carver, person of the week.
2: Or the farmer from Diamond, Missouri. Moses and his wife Susan lived in a slave state, but they didn't believe in slavery. This was a problem for the psychopaths called the Quantrill Raiders who terrorized the area, destroying property and burning and killing. And sure enough, one cold January night, Quantrill's raiders rode through... Moses and Susan's farm, the outlaws burned the barn, shot several people, and dragged off a woman named Mary Washington, who refused to let go of her infant son, George. Mary Washington was Susan's best friend, and his wife was distraught. Moses quickly sent word out through the neighbors and towns, and two days after, managed to secure a meeting with those bandits. On Black Horse, Moses rode several hours north to the crossroads in Kansas. There, at the appointed time, in the middle of the night, he met four Quantrells raiders. They were on horseback, carrying torches and flower sacks tied over the heads with holes cut out for eyes. There, Moses traded the only horse he had left on his farm for what they threw at him in a dirty burlap bag. As they thundered off on their horse, Moses fell to his knees, and there, alone on the dark winter night, the farmer pulled out the bag, a cold, naked, almost dead baby boy. Quickly, he jerked open his coat and his shirts and placed the child next to his skin. Covering him then with his own clothes and relying for the warmth of his own body, the man turned and walked the baby out. Moses walked through the night to the next morning to get that child safely home. He sang to the child, told him he would care for him, promised that he would honor and educate him. That night was the night the farmer gave the baby his name, and that baby's name was George Washington and now Carver. Carver. Everything you do, every decision that you make um, counts. So maybe when you think about all of this, it was the farmer who saved who farmer from Diamond, Missouri, who saved two billion people. So please remember, every decision that you make can impact the whole world. Generation after an generation. And there is no ending to the story. The story can be traced back. It can go back as far as we want it to go back. So I am going to remind you, consider the seven most wit- wise decision-making principles. The responsible decision, the buck stops here. The guided decision, seeking wisdom. The active decision, being a person of action. The certain decision, the decided heart. The joyful decision, joy is a choice and happiness is a decision. The compassionate decision, and that is forgiveness. And the persistent decision is resistance is a habit and guess what? So is quitting.
1: Hmm, Each and every one of you matters so very much. Make sure you live your purpose and enjoy. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to A Voice of Reason. Please join your host Kathy Horton and Sherry Petro-Serdell for another edition next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until then, have a terrific week.